0: neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stops the triple click email delivery because well it's email there's no postage required welcome to triple click where we bring the games to you this week we open up the mailbag to answer questions about journalism studios that face major restructuring and still manage to make something good and uh investment advice sure we can try I'm Maddie
1: Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello! Hello! Hello, It's us! Hello, my illustrious co-hosts. We're recording this on Halloween. I know. Are you guys going trick-or-treating? I'm going trick-or-treating. I'm very excited. No.
0: I'm entertaining the Uh trick-or-treaters. I'm I'm inviting them in. Mutual aid, candy distribution. We're doing it. (laughs) We're sharing. (laughs)
1: You're inviting them inside? Like, (laughs) hey, guys, come on in. Come (laughs) on in. We got a lot of Come on in. We did a haunted
2: house. Maybe we'll do a haunted house next year.
0: You know, I actually did used to do haunted houses when I was a teenager. Mm. That was how I transitioned from trick-or-treater to part of the neighborhood was building Ooh. a haunted house with my friends. It's so fun. That seems
2: like that would be a really, oh, really yeah. fun thing it, to do. It's
0: like the best way to spend your teenage years.
2: <laughs> there are neighborhoods in Portland where the whole thing is that like everyone goes really um, over the top. Lads edition is the name of this neighborhood. And oh, people will yeah. build these huge haunted houses in their front yard. And I went one year and we went through their haunted houses. Oh, and I was yeah. like, this was probably really fun.
0: Our neighborhood <laughs> is kind of like that. We are not even close oh, nice. to the coolest house in our immediate area, but we do get a lot of trick or treaters. Kirk, do you get? Trick or treaters? Jason, I already know what you're doing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we just moved, so oh, I, uh, I actually don't see. know yet. We're about to find out tonight. Yeah, that's exciting. It's always tricky because we had to gauge how much candy to get. We mm-hmm. got some, but you don't want to get so much that you wind up just like eating Snickers bars for two weeks. <laughs> I know, right? That's actually not something I want to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: Are you sure that's not something you want to have? You know, I, 10 years ago, maybe. Well, you,
0: you got to split the div, get candy you know you want to <laughs> eat. Well, the thing
1: is, if you're not trick or treating yeah. as an adult, you have to like store candy. Oh, yeah because he oh, can't yeah. go right. out and get it. So. It's the candy tax.
2: Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm, just we uh, take a little mm-hmm. bit off the top every time we <laughs> give candy to the kids. <laughs> they have to learn somehow.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's what Jason gets to do with, with his little trick-or-treaters that he's taking out this mm-hmm. year. He gets mm-hmm. to do the candy tax, the parental candy tax, which is a different right. form of taxation.
1: One more thing before we actually jump in is I'm going to Anaheim tomorrow for BlizzCon. So if anyone out there is a Spooky. triple listener who's going to BlizzCon, <laughs> uh, say hi. If you see me, what do you think is going to be at BlizzCon? Mm. Like, what are you expecting to see there? I haven't really been paying attention. Well, it's the first one in a couple yeah, years. The first like in person oh, one yeah. since COVID. Yeah, they did a digital one, and then um, oh right, 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 Last
0: year they just didn't do one at all. They were like, right, we're not going to have one. It. And also the lawsuit was going on. It was a weird. Well, this is time the first one
1: since the lawsuit. Yeah, and yeah, they uh, they have Warcraft stuff. Probably a Diablo expansion. Probably a Warcraft expansion. Overwatch then, yeah, Two is knows? a video game. <laughs> Still. Who knows what else they'll show? Um, interesting. I
2: guess this is also post Microsoft, so maybe yes, that'll, first ones, that'll be a Since little bit Fox, of an interesting yeah.
1: uh, thing in the background there.
0: So like Phil Spencer will come out and everybody will boo. They're gonna
1: <laughs> announce Master Chief and Heroes of the Storm. Oh
0: my God! Can you imagine? <laughs> that would be. I can't. I'm wild. imagining it right It'd now. It'd be wild to have a Heroes of the Storm announcement. So I think it would be kind of bittersweet, like if they yeah. just started bringing just that one back of out of storage. Craziness. A millstone yeah. of craziness. Interesting. I'll be interested
2: to hear from you what you
0: see there.
1: So, yeah, if anyone's out there is going, say hi. Look for me. I'll be floating around.
0: All right. Well, I don't have a transition, but I do want (laughs) to say one thing before we get to the rest of the episode, which is that if you want to check out a cool website. Maximumfun.org slash join is cool. But I, I, I think that. I'm going to describe what's on there just in case people are like scared to check it out. I mean, it's a, it's a scary time of year. People might be like, it's oh, true. what's this URL He's saying? I don't want to just go sight unseen there. What if something jumps out at me? There's like a scary face. It's not like that at all. It is a super normal place where you can support Triple Click and all the other shows on the Maximum Fun network of, of podcasts. And I think you should do it because... If you become a member, you get bonus episodes from all the shows, but in particular, you get a monthly bonus episode from Triple Click, which is us. That's our show that we do here. You're already listening to it. So, for example, this month we have a bonus episode called Hunt for Best October, which. <laughs> I'm personally very proud of. I ran that episode. Have you ever thought, what's the best October? Well, finally, we figure it out. And according to terms that might not surprise you. (laughs) Have you ever
1: thought that question that everybody asks all the time? Everyone's always
0: asking this. Everyone's always like, what's the best one? Is it this one? Is it some other year? Well, anyway, we did an episode on that and we had to analyze a lot of Octobers. But there are a ton of other backlogged episodes we've done Spill the Beans, Beans Cast on Tears of the Kingdom, uh, The Horizon Games, Modern Warfare. I always think of that one for some reason. I feel like we all have a Mm -hmm. game, we always say, like Kirk's, I think, is like The Last of Us 2. I don't know. We we all have one that we're like, this is the only Beans Cast I remember. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's enough of that. MaximumFun.org slash join. Check it out. It's a great website. And also, you can support the show by going there and being a member. Jason, what is today's episode? What is it? What's so, going
1: on? This week, we are doing a Burning Questions, where we open up our old email box <laughs> and pull out some emails and read them and answer mm-hmm. them. Just a reminder, everybody can send us questions at, at org. We've got some, some good ones lined up for you this week. I'm very excited and yeah without further ado let's get to it um so quick i just i actually want to shout out one question that we're not actually going to address but i just thought it was worth mentioning um a person named melissa reached out to the show she said she was getting married and had some questions about video games and couples and stuff um it was actually just ahead it was like an hour before our video games and relationships episode hit a few weeks ago um and that covered some of the stuff that that she asked about so we're not going to answer a question but just a quick shout out. She sent us a picture of her wearing a triple click T-shirt the day before her wedding, like checking out the venue. So I thought that was pretty cool. So shout out to Melissa, pretty
0: good, really, really good.
1: Yeah, congratulations, Melissa. Congrats Congrats to to Melissa. Maddie, why don't you read us the first question?
0: Sure. So this question's from Jacob, who writes, big fan of the show. Triple click episodes are a highlight of my week. What if that was the whole email and I just stopped there? It's not. Jacob continues. I recently graduated with my degree in journalism and I've started to work as a freelance list article writer for a video game news publication. I'm grateful to be in this role considering how awful the job market is right now, but I feel pretty railroaded into writing list content all day. In the future, I'd like to find a role as a full-time writer for a games publication, but I'm struggling to see the path to get there. So as games journalists... What have your career journeys been like? If you were to start all over again with the knowledge you have now, what choices would you make? Any and all advice is appreciated.
1: Oh man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the problem with this question we can get into our career journeys a little bit as well but the problem with this question is that like the um journey that we had when we were all starting 10 12 15 years ago is so irrelevant today that it's almost it's almost kind of like a waste of time to listen to that as potential advice I mean yeah. we can tell you about our stories cuz they might be interesting but like not as useful models for the future cuz the the business has changed so much
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you have to unfocus your eyes, I think, to get it. what's useful. I will say that um, Jacob describes click as a highlight of his week. <laughs> and I think that's nice, that he's being very precise there. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. saying the highlight of my week feels a little hyper- hyperbolic. And I think if if he's working on being a journalist, <laughs> that it's very good that he's using precise language like that. Mm, that is so a very true. journalistic
1: way of phrasing it. I think I would write it that way, too. I'd be like, well, I don't want to blow smoke it's up the, their
2: ass. I mean, it's a <laughs> highlight of my
1: week. The, the real journalistic way, of Would be to be like one of the top ten highlights of my week, and you won't believe you won't believe number nine. Right, (laughs) right. Um,
2: I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jason, that it is harder and harder with every passing year to give meaningful advice because. You know, 5 or 6 years ago I would have said, well, maybe YouTube is the way to go and you can build you could build yourself up as an individual brand just by having a distinct enough voice. That was kind of how I got started was by writing kind of game reviews and humor posts that were good enough to get noticed and I think that wouldn't Like the version of that that makes sense in like 2016 or 2015 would be making YouTube videos and video essays that are so kind of undeniable that they get noticed. I think of someone like Noah Caldwell Gervais, who's one of my favorite YouTubers. He makes these very long, very intelligent posts or videos. And I remember watching his videos maybe around then 2014 and being like, wow, this guy has a distinct voice. That's really cool. So I feel like Whatever the modern version of that is, that's what you want to do is is find a way to get your work out there and then have your work stand out. And then people will be excited about getting you to do work for them. I'm just not sure like what the exact like platform is for that or what the
1: work looks like. TikTok. I have suppose you... TikTok would be that would be my guess. But I'm not on TikTok. So I'm not totally I sure. Mm. I don't I don't think so. Yeah. TikTok isn't really designed to make people stand out. It's designed to create like an algorithm that just feeds people. Content all the time. But I don't know. I don't know for sure.
0: Yeah, it's also really designed in favor of like parasocial relationships that people mm. have. Like there's certainly people that have brands yeah. on there, but a lot of them are about like their own social lives. But uh some advice I have for, for Jacob that I think has been applicable forever is just try to find other writers or other creative people who are in a similar, you know, career path or or have a same set of goals as as you do, because at least for me that was extremely important not not for like oh networking getting a job like sure yeah that stuff matters but because writing is so lonely And because meeting other people and getting their feedback is actually a really good way to hone your own voice and your own perspective on games or whatever you end up deciding to cover. And then the other piece of advice that I usually give is just write about other stuff. I mean, it it doesn't have to be games because at the end of the day, hopefully you like writing more than you like anything else. I I know Jason and I have said that before. Kirk, you probably have too. Like, I I basically, I'm like, hopefully you're not here because you love playing games. Like, that's great. But you got to like writing way more than that. And if that's the case, then you can write about anything and still learn how to structure a great story of whatever type you want to do. Maybe, maybe it's not lists, but th- that, there's a huge range of different kinds of stories that you could write, including scripts for videos, a lot of which start as written work before they transform into a video later.
2: Yeah, related to that, um, another piece of advice I would give specific to Jacob is that you've already gotten in your writing lists for a video game publication, which is really useful. And I'd say something that I did when I was starting out and advice that I give to people, anyone who wants to kind of work in media, is that you, you got to do it a lot and get really consistent at like just writing and creating articles. So I would advise like starting a blog, even if it's just a place to dump your ideas, like just just somewhere that then you can if you're talking to your editor at this publication and you're like hey you know what I'd love to write something other than a list check it out here's like a bunch of stuff I've been doing I'm just screwing around on my blog usually when you're having fun in like a really low stakes environment like that that's where people do a lot of really good writing mm-hmm. and it can be a, a good just kind of resource to have to point people towards so that's another kind of specific piece of advice for what you're doing
1: so let's table we actually talked about our career journeys on a being on a boat yeah, yeah that <laughs> On a bonus episode called Beans Talk our past and Future. So if you're a member, you can go check that out to hear our career journeys. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we we've had it's, different, they're different very different There's advice. We, we, the have, the we all have had bizarre journeys <laughs> yeah, that are got, not replicable like, in any meaningful way. Interesting. <laughs> we're
0: not withholding it because it's because it, it's advice, Jacob. We're we're withholding yeah. it because it's it's so cool <laughs> and uh, <laughs> not helpful.
1: <laughs> but also become a member and then yeah, become we'll a get, member. We'll That's true. Can go stories. hear that. Um, alright, Kirk,
2: next question. Alright Sam writes, hey Triple click. I wanted to get your perspectives on the recent, at the time of writing, upheaval at BioWare, specifically them laying off 50 people, including longtime devs who were on the original Baldur's Gate team. With all the turnover since Dragon Age 4 began development in 2015, plus multiple project restarts, it's been tough to have faith in an enjoyable end product for a while. Now I'm beginning to doubt if anything even nominally called Dragon Age 4 will be released at all. Do you all know of any games with analogously troubled production histories that still managed to get made even better that were still fun to play? This question is for all of you, though I know that Jason has specifically reported on the situation at BioWare back in 2019. Thanks and love the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of them. A lot of game productions go through some sort of torturous cycle or another. Um, A couple that come to mind immediately... Um, the Last Guardian was one that was just in development hell forever, and then finally reemerged. I think it was originally announced for the PS3, and then reemerged on the mm-hmm. PS4. So that game definitely went through some some troubles. Um, Final Fantasy VII remake was originally started with with like one developer in 2015, and then not even counting all the various incarnations of like, hey, we're doing a remake of this game back back in the day. But this current version started in 2015 with one developer, and then shifted gears entirely to to Square Enix internal, so uh, I mean a lot of a lot of games, and it's kind of like a, a coin flip <laughs> whether things come together at the last minute
0: or mm-hmm. not. Yeah, the example that came to mind when I read Sam's message was Telltale Games, which. Was it 2019 that they had their massive culling? It was semi-recent and then kind of rehired some people again. And I know people really like the Expanse games and they're waiting for the Wolf Among Us games to keep coming out, even though Telltale did layoffs again very recently uh in 2023
1: i I think it was a different entity i think telltale shut down so the the original telltale is totally gone but then a different company bought which is why i think it's
0: kind of a good parallel because if you read the way that people write about the expanse which again i haven't played but i just kind of googled around to see reviews of it ahead of this episode people are like oh you know telltale they're so good at writing story games and i'm like it's kind of funny to read an article describing them in this way because this is a completely different set of people that yes, has the Telltale Games name, but certainly people who are good writers by all reports. So it's kind of interesting how a studio name might have total turnover, but then still have a license and end up making something good or bad or anywhere in between. I don't know that it's always indicative of something other than maybe how much it sucked to work there. Like I feel like the the tumult tells us that, but maybe not much about the product.
2: Right, and that's that's an, the flip side of this that's worth keeping in mind, I guess, even though it's more of a bummer, is that even if the game is fun to play when it yeah. comes out, the destruction, the path of destruction left by some of these uh, years and years-long production cycles is hard to really quantify or, or hard to even get a sense of just because layoffs are so traumatic for, for everybody, you know, that this kind of production can really take a toll and kind of makes the overall games industry worse so that's that's like the kind of flip side of this that even when a game does come out and manages to be good there's usually a lot of carnage uh behind the scenes i'm thinking of a lot of the stories in your book jason in your first book like uncharted 4 for example of just people really put themselves through it for that game and it came out you know it's a very celebrated well-made game but wow there
1: was a real cost yeah, I feel like it's it's almost like if you want to find the real unicorns, find the game cycles that weren't tumultuous and turbulent and brutal. For and people. The, yeah,
2: and the game was great. You Which know? there
1: are a few. Um, yeah, there are a few. Sure. The one one that comes to mind is some. Uh, uh, and I haven't talked to every single person on this project, so I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody. But from what I have heard, motives. Uh, what was that game? Star Wars Squadrons. Like mm. had mm-hmm. was like healthy scope, healthy development cycle. <laughs> Bam! Wow, um,
0: that's great. Sometimes, that yeah, game. sometimes.
1: Sometimes it's the smaller scope stuff that like really stands out the other part of this equation Mm -hmm. by the way um is the story that the three of us have talked about and the entire industry has talked about over and over again in recent years which is game comes out in bad shape and is turned around over time the Mm -hmm. the now man's sky the cyberpunk the destiny the the final fantasy 14 it's just happened many times at this point and that i think is its own kind of unique version of the Turbulent development story. Right. It's just that, like, it it's turb it's kind of turbulent, and then turbulent before launch, and then it's bad, and then it's still turbulent, and then eventually one day it's good if they stick with it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the second book subject right. in this. You know, if you were gonna do a second book about video
2: games, you would maybe right, write would about be those the, kinds of stories. The
1: phoenix, the phoenix stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Here's this. This question's pretty funny. Um, Bill asks. Bill says, "Hey, Jason." Your casino story had me wondering, do your friends ever try to peer pressure you into revealing any video game scoops? Come on, man. We know you know where the next five Assassin's Creed's are set. You can tell us. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah, we do that all the time. (laughs) Well, so this is funny because, like, uh, (laughs) the answer is no. Um, as far as my friends kind of outside of the games world, because my friends outside of the games world, they might be into games, but they're not like reading IGN and Kotaku every single day, like uh, looking for the hunt. They are reading Polygon,
0: right? Yeah,
1: sure. They're (laughs) Polygon. Yes, of course. Reading They're finding guides on Polygon. Yeah, that's yeah. that's their main. Source. Hey, I'll take it. Um, They're
2: only humans,
1: so it's more like like <laughs> the people like my main group chat with my my closest friends, my high school friends. Like the questions they'll post to me sometimes are like, "Hey, is this new game that's coming out next week? Is that any good? Is the new Star Wars game good? Is Baldur's Gate three good? Should I yeah, check that's that what out?
0: people always ask me. Too, that's is what just, people want to know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that that it's it's the people who are like the the people who are closest to me in my life who aren't part of the games world are people who don't care about like the the cadence of regular gaming news and so they don't care what the next assassin's creed is they just want to know what's cool that's coming out and i think that's the majority of people who play games including i'm sure many people who listen to our show um so no i don't get a lot of questions actually from people just being like so give us the scoop and stuff like that except for kirk and maddie
0: Mm-hmm. And, and presumably other games journalists you know but or they all knew better than to even no to i mean
1: yeah no not really and also it's not like i'm sitting on some gold mine of like secret information that i'm not reporting or anything like that like it's not <laughs> i don't i don't know every single game that's coming out or, or anything like that so uh i think mean, it would be futile to ask but yeah mm-hmm. other colleagues i mean it's kind of a weird, would be a professional faux pas to be like, so what's coming out in the near future and your competitor to, to me in the game? Yeah, I guess space. that's
0: true. It would be really weird if your competitors were asking you that, but we have re-reigned to tease you and claim that exactly. you know information that you refuse to reveal.
1: You guys are fair game.
2: I've definitely seen <laughs> game journalists gossip about things that are kind of commonly known there Mm -hmm. are times where people be like oh well you know that rumored thing that everyone is kind of winking about like that kind of gets passed around but yeah there's not a lot of people like trading honest
0: yeah like i feel like a lot of people knew about starfield ahead of time even if they didn't know the title of it like there were a lot of things kind of in that zone where it's like oh we know this there's a space game in development like things like that that just become known is that what you mean kirk like, boring. Yeah, partners.
2: just in terms of, of the professional malpractice of sharing secrets with yes. other reporters, there's a bit of just sort of open talking about, hey, like, so-and-so is keeping this a secret, but I heard it was this. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of, like, I sources yes. are telling me this. Like, that no reporter would, would have any reason to reveal yeah, that. Yeah, because at that
0: point, you're going to write other, it up. Interesting.
1: <laughs> I, I haven't, I don't really see that a lot. The gossip that I see among journalism circles is more just, like, gossip about people and just like well, <laughs> like, well
0: yeah there's way well, more of well, that yeah. yeah but
2: I mean there's definitely a, more a bit of gossip that sort of reveals some things of, mm-hmm. that are going on behind this and the yeah, gossip yeah, is always that. this
0: person is so much nicer than you think and like we love this person exactly we love them of course we don't want to get a lot into of it. times
2: that is the gossip actually <laughs> people do like to share that kind of thing you know I've heard he's a really great guy
0: that
1: happens true. yeah yeah that's 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 always good um okay Maddie next question
0: sure so this is from an anonymous person. And they write, please don't share my name on the show. It's apparent why in my question. My father died last year and I got a bit of an inheritance. One of the things experts recommend is to invest a bit in things you love and support. Of course, I immediately became a Max Fund member. Beyond That's that, nice. I've been looking at how to invest in games. One easy way is to invest in a games-related ETF a fund that includes usually a mix of development studios, distributors, and associated tech companies. It's easy, but the problem is that I stupidly read and enjoyed Press Reset. Stupidly? I don't know. And now the idea of being one of those awful stockholders that drive this rapacious, unsustainable industry is totally unpalatable. All the ETFs I've found include studios that might be characterized generously as problematic, in quotation marks. What do you think? Do you all see any viable options to help games get made, but in a way that affirms workers and sustainable careers?
1: Man, I don't want to be like one of those well society type people, but like <laughs> yeah. anything, any ETFs, any kind of like mutual funds, any index funds, anything you invest in that's a group of companies is going to include some problematic. Well, that's phase. true. Yeah. So I mean, uh, better better an Activision Blizzard than like an Exxon, I think.
0: I yeah. Don't, don't invest in Exxon. I think that's <laughs> great advice. Just kind of morally. Uh, maybe this is terrible. Advice. I really don't know anything about finances, but I do know that just from my coworker, Charlie Hall, that investing in tabletop startups, like, is pretty, like, one-to-one in terms of what you're funding as compared to other kinds of games because they're such small teams and you're funding, like, a really specific product. And there's, like, a bunch of Kickstarter competitors that are, like, just for tabletop games. Like, it's a pretty uh, kind of well-stocked industry when it comes to just people directly getting funds from the people who are going to play the game and you actually get the game right away. Like, it's kind of like a pre-order system and it's very... It's very sustainable, seemingly, or at least so Charlie tells me. I I don't know if that actually helps this anonymous writer. Maybe they don't care about funding tabletop games, but reading about it well this at, is
1: less about funding a product and more about like an investment yeah and it's more
0: about funding like a sustainable company which it, it seems like there are well several. you wouldn't get
1: a return if you put a, down money on a Kickstarter right. for a board game you're not getting a return I think this person yeah. is looking for returns
0: they want to like contact a company and be like how do I become your, your private patron I think
1: they're using the word invest to
2: actually mean invest like purchase stocks in a company not yeah. like in, put my money back in to help indie yeah. people make games like,
1: I, fi- I think we're talking about, I have $50,000 and I want it to grow, not like I have $100 to sink into a Kickstarter or something like that. So I do think, I mean, I think that kind of the traditional finance advice for investment is like put your money in a mutual fund and just let it sit there and grow with the stock market um, or fall with the stock market as the case may be, but grow in the long term, hopefully. Um, And I don't think that like picking a, a video game ETF is a bad idea from an investment mindset, from like a good investment mindset it's just yeah you have to deal with the fact that you're potentially investing in companies that are that are problematic I mean as a shareholder there are certain things you can do you can like there are activist shareholders out there who go out and like actually ma- seek to make changes um, Activision Blizzard had some of those you can always be, become part of that um, I don't necessarily think it's like unethical or problematic to make an investment um, that includes game companies.
0: Yeah, I don't either. Yeah.
2: I don't have anything to add. I mean, yeah, it's complicated. Like investment
0: is what complicated. What is money, by the way? Does anybody know?
1: But I am I am glad that uh this person immediately became a Max Fund member because that's yeah. the most important part of this equation. Yeah. It um, is. Well and
2: that and that does kind of go to the other type of investment we were talking yeah. about. I mean certainly you can invest in cool Kickstarters for cool you know, indie developers companies. who seem neat and you yeah. can you can back up people that you uh, whose work you like. Like that's definitely a valid way to use money, even if there isn't always a return on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't call that an investment. I would call it kind of a donation, almost, no. or like a or product like support purchasing or something. A, a purchase, yeah, a purchase. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you become a triple click supporter, you're essentially purchasing a product in bonus episodes, and also in allowing this thing to keep going. So I do think it's not like a uh, it's not an investment. You're not getting ROI, but you are getting the product that you like. So there is is a trade off there that is beneficial. For both sides, same with the Kickstarter to your point, Maddie. Um, okay, next question. Let me do this one and then Kirk, you can do the last one. Um, so this one is from Amanda. I'm actually, I wanted to paraphrase a bunch of stuff, but basically, she mentions in her letter that she's recently gotten back into gaming, and one of the ways she did is by playing as like a gender swapped Zelda game where you play as Zelda or a gender swapped mod of the new Star Wars games where you play as like a female Cal Kestis. And she writes, I'm wondering if there are any video game stories you'd like to see with a similar name narrative shakeup where you would love to play an otherwise overplayed story
0: I love this. I She had also mentioned the Resident Evil 4. There's like a Leona mod that makes Leon into like a really cool mm-hmm. butch protagonist. She looks great. This is one of those situations where I'm like, oh, maybe AI mods on voice acting are okay. Give give Leona a girly voice. Um, but I don't really think that. Or do I? Whatever. I'm not taking a stance there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't have an exact parallel to what Amanda's doing, although I I did really like this Zelda mod that she described. I kind of wanted to check it out. It sounded really cool. Uh, But I did, back in the day, install mods for Counter-Strike where I could play as a female character because it wasn't until really recently that counter-strike actually started to have female models and, um, and the latest one, they're locked behind a paywall actually, but you know, 10, <laughs> as, 15 years as ago, women, women as women are. T- typically are, this yeah. is, this is the wage gap people. <laughs> uh, this is how it works. Uh, but, but 10, 15 years ago, obviously call of duty didn't have female playable characters. Like no military shooter did, uh, in, until later on, even though women were in the military in that, those time periods, uh, didn't matter in the video game world. So I would install mods like that, but I was always really disappointed in them at the time because a lot of them were like sort of made as a joke. And I feel like these days, mod communities for games have changed so much from when I was a kid and a teenager. And that's so cool to see. It's like one of the coolest things about online gaming as a pastime is that now you can just play as any number of other things in games and it's not treated as disparaging or weird or like some fetishy thing that you would want to do that. By which I mean, like the original Counter-Strike female mods would be like a woman in a bikini. Like it wouldn't just be like, oh, a normal female combatant. Like it would always be fetishized in some type of way. Um, And I just think it's cool how much times have changed. And um, the other piece to this is just, when I was younger, I was always like really excited to only play as female characters, but these days, it doesn't, it's not as big of a requirement for me because it's so possible now, if that makes sense. Like, it's so Mm -hmm. more easily achieved that it doesn't bug me as much as it used to, and that's something that makes me really happy too. It's just that now I'm like willing to play as Link and it doesn't bug me as much. Although it would be really cool if we could play as Zelda. We can all agree on that. True. Like, <laughs> come on, come on. But it is, yes. it's cool because I can easily think of Zelda-likes that have a female character or have the option to play as whomever you want, whatever you design. And that wasn't always the case. So it's really neat.
2: Yeah, I think for me, Mass Effect was a really important game in... Uh, having this kind of an experience because Mass Effect was designed to be playable as either female or male protagonist. And your Commander Shepard was basically written the same way, no matter which you chose. So it almost was like you were getting a modded version, whichever you thought of as your canon version. The other one is modded because it's just the same. Like if you play Resident Evil 4 Mm -hmm. as Leona, you're, you're playing the same game. You just have like a different visual element. And definitely, I think the first time I played through Mass Effect way back in 2007, I played as uh bro shep male shepherd and then i think i've just played it again because maybe the sequel was coming out um or i think i just switched maybe to lady shepherd for the sequel and that was where it kind of hit me how much more interesting i actually did find the story with a woman in the lead just because i don't know like the society that i live in well, i
0: mean it's an underrepresented story i mean it's like yeah it was it was interesting
2: It was interesting for me to see a woman in that role in that kind of a story. And uh, certainly Jennifer Hill's performance helped. And nowadays that feels so much more common. I mean, that's something I was noticing recently while returning to Cyberpunk 2077 is how Sharami Lee is so great in that game. And the female lead just feels like the canon lead. But you kind of get that same experience. So anyways, now that it is so common, I'm kind of thinking of games where there is one set gender for the protagonist like it's an established character like uh, Geralt of Rivia for example and what would that be mm-hmm. like
0: or like Aloy um,
2: right or yeah. Aloy the other way around and it is interesting how f- turning Aloy into a man it would be like okay well this is this is another <laughs> open world game like it would still feel kind of like the norm because we're coming out of so many years of that being the norm even though now it's really not and um having Geralt become Geralta. I don't know, that, that could be interesting. It does feel a little bit less essential to me now, I suppose, um, than it would have just because, like you said, Maddie, there are so many opportunities. But I love the sound of all of these mods. Um, the Cal Kestis one sounds so cool. I didn't
1: even know about that. I'll yeah. have to check it
0: out. Yeah, I like that she included, like, the name of it. It's Gal Kestis, for example. Yes, right. I like that.
1: Amanda mentions in her letter also uh, gender-swapped Kratos, which is hilarious Oh, yeah, I about. didn't even
0: know that existed. That I would, would be, be incredible. Um,
1: and, yeah, I mean, I think that playing I've been playing Alan Wake 2 and even just playing uh, the first couple hours of that game as Saga, you switch in the game between Saga and Alan um, has just felt uh, so refreshing because it feels so much like a Resident Evil game and after playing Resident Evil 4 and also like Dead Space after playing those two games earlier this year it's kind of like oh this feels a little bit different just because it's a woman offering her perspective and I thought that was an interesting way to play so yeah. Not just a woman but a mom Un- very unusual for video yes, games. Yes, a mom. A, a mom. mom. It is Gotta a love mom Mom, game. mom <laughs> representation. I think that like um, <laughs> it doesn't have to just be gender swaps. I think that like any any sort of like shake up on the kind of the typical uh, video game protagonist can be really interesting. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's do one last question. Kirk, take us away.
2: All right, Charlie writes in December 2017. Disney blacklisted LA Times writers from the critics' screenings of its new movies in what was pretty obviously retaliation – or some investigative journalism done by the newspaper. More or less immediately, movie critics circled ranks. Many individual critics said they would no longer review Disney movies, and movie critics' organizations, such as the New York Film Critics Circle, disqualified all consideration of Disney movies from awards. Disney very quickly backed down. As yet another big game releases with some controversy about outlets being passed over for review code, this time with Starfield and, oddly enough, the nation of Britain. I wonder why games critics... Do not show this basic level of professional solidarity, and what will it take for the profession to do so, particularly as the three of you have all been part of multiple publisher blacklists and I'll add for context to this question this was about I believe it was Eurogamer did not receive a copy of Starfield in time to review it even though Digital Foundry their sort of technical um, partner who does the technical reviews did get a copy so it was very clear that there were copies to go around and Mm -hmm. yet for some reason this major outlet Eurogamer didn't get one and this is also from coming from Bethesda Game Studios who Uh, You know, when we were at Kotaku we were the subject of a blacklist by them for a very long time so they have a history of withholding review copies of games
1: well so with this with that one I mean Eurogamer said that and then like two hours later they were like oh we got a code now so there wasn't even Mm. time for for critics to be like we're gonna like stand in solidarity with Eurogamer Mm -hmm. and be like I think more relevant or more kind of telling is that in 2015 Kotaku announced that it was blacklisted by Bethesda and it was just kind of crickets all around the games industry. It's interesting. I've thought about this, this one a lot. Like why is there, why does there appear to be more backbone in this other space? And I don't know. I think there are a lot of, a lot of reasons for it. Um, But the, First and foremost, the number one reason I think is just the general precarity in the games media space. I don't think, I think even if an IGN, say, wanted to stand by colleagues and be like, we're not going to cover Bethesda games as long as they have this blacklist going, um, I don't know if they financially would be able to take the hit from not having the review of, of Starfield and the guides of Starfield and whatever else they do surrounding a big launch.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's hard to imagine something like this happening. But it makes me sad that I feel that way, because it's clear that it's effective, like if it were possible for journalists to actually collaborate in that way. And I, I wonder if some of that is just because of the relative youth of video games as a medium and games journalism. I mean, we talk about that all the time. It's been many years, and yet we still have to describe ourselves as being of relative youth compared to every other field of criticism, because that's the case for the art form we cover. And it means that the professionalization of games journalism is a bit later coming. Like in the early days, we sort of talk about the enthusiast press and the relationship between PR and press is still kind of in a weird spot. I think a lot of people, certainly not triple click listeners, all of you understand very well how journalism operates, but just sort of the the average person may not understand sort of the difference between like an influencer reviewing a game or or doing something I wouldn't necessarily call a game review versus uh, a a games critic employed uh, at Polygon doing, doing a game review and, and not necessarily having that be like involving some type of, uh, gift from the publisher or, or other things that influencers disclose, but that people don't necessarily think of as, as being related to what score they give or what take they have. Uh, and just sort of that weird relationship between influencers and PR and journalists and that fuzziness. I, I feel like it's still a confusing issue for people. And, and because of that, and on it's just an ongoing issue, maybe that's why journalists already feel like their position is so precarious that they would have to fight for it, and they don't really feel like they ha- they can afford to do something like this. It also might sense. not
1: matter if the YouTubers and Twitch streamers right, exactly. are all still covering the game. Exactly. It might not matter to something like Bethesda anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: there's a there's just been so much more time for the world of film to. For both sides of this to mature, like the studios and the PR people working for companies like Disney and also major outlets and newspapers and magazines who have been reviewing films for decades, there's just such an established relationship there between those two sides. And then on the critic side, there's so much... There's just so much time. I mean, there are people who have been doing this for their whole career who are like the really old guard. There's a lot of solidarity. There are a lot of organizations that have been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So there's just kind of a sturdy structure there for when it's time to kind of gird our loins and say, all right. Everybody, like, this cannot stand. We can't allow this to happen. There's more of a sense of a structure there that can kind of hold together in the face of something like Disney. And when I think of the world of games media, like what we've all just been describing, what you've both been describing, it's just this much more diffuse kind of recently planted garden with a bunch of stuff growing in all (laughs) different directions. There's just not a feeling of, like, a structure that can hold together as much as I wish there would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it, it, it would be nice in moments like uh, what you described, Jason, the, the Bethesda Blacklist of Kotaku in 2015. That was a very lonely moment for us. Yeah. And yet it totally felt like, well, yeah, of course, that's kind of how this is happening because it was very hard to imagine it happening another way. And I think it's for a lot of reasons, but one of them is is that, that newness or that diffuse quality that I'm describing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
1: mean, I think... It's. I think the sturdiness is less about the fact that people have been doing it for a long time, and more about the fact that they're doing it for larger media institutions, the LA Times, the New York Times. Like their movie, a lot of the movie critics are working for things that are way bigger than them that don't really care if the latest movie is not reviewed, as opposed to working for dedicated movie sites or dedicated game site. In our in our case, where like it's. A large part of their forecasts for any given year is what big games are coming out and rely and relying upon coverage for that. So to connect those two
2: ideas, I think that one of the identifying things about those outlets is their age, that they've been along around for a long time and they have a very established way of doing it. Yeah. So if you're writing for a New York Times or Washington Post, LA Times, like if you're a movie critic there, you have the kind of power of that long standing institution behind you. Where yeah, if you're writing for like Movie reviews.com, like that, who knows what that is that just kind of came around. It just doesn't have that weight behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I
0: wonder also if the awards aspect of this is something that will change over time for games as well. Like, I, I, we always kind of joke around about the Game Awards and I call it Gaming's biggest night, but it's not, we don't have as many sort of professionalized awards shows or like sort of press affiliated awards shows that we could all band together and sort of withhold let's say bethesda from or blizzard from or whoever whatever studio you want to imagine like that's another bargaining chip that these film critics seemingly had like the new york film critic circle i guess is is one of the ones that disqualified disney for consideration if they didn't change their stance i mean there certainly are small video game award there's a new york video game critic circle for example but it's 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 very small. I mean, there's triple click picks. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, picks, that's yeah. becoming larger and larger every day, every year. <laughs> should we? Should
1: we refuse to include Bethesda games I until mean, they uncover? Yep, us? that's that's
0: why we're. That's why Starfield isn't on the list. That's uh-huh, the only reason. Uh-huh. That's yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the main mean, reason. Excellent game. Otherwise,
1: <laughs> we all loved it.
0: <laughs> I can't think of any other reason why it wouldn't be Definitely.
1: there. Definitely. Um, oh, okay. Boy. All right. I'm note now. Why, why don't we take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing.
0: Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. What movie character made you feel seen?
1: I knew exactly what it was. Clementine from
0: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind.
2: Choi Wang slash Jobu Tupaki.
0: That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy
1: Flick in the film Election.
0: So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi,
2: it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using a limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, And brilliant guests who come play him. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave. So try it.
0: Life won't be the same. Uh, A big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh,
2: is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians?
1: Yes, Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems.
2: Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org
0: or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we are back, Kirk, Maddie, and it's time for one more thing. Kirk, kick us off. All right.
2: I'm going to kick us off with a video game that I've been playing that I really dig. That's uh, very cool. And that yeah, I, I want to play this game. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder if, if uh, some folks out there will not have heard of it. So I'm excited to get to spread the good word. This is a game called El Paso Elsewhere. It's out on Windows, PC, and Xbox. And uh, it's very, very cool and kind of it's an interesting timing for it to come out because it is very much a tribute to old school Remedy and specifically to Max Payne. So if you grew up like I did playing Max Payne on PC and you really love those, those old Max Payne games, then I think you will probably like El Paso elsewhere. So this game is made by a studio called Strange Scaffold. It's really overseen by one guy who's kind of the creative force behind it. Zalavier Nelson Jr. is his name. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He is the, I think, the writer like director of the game. He's also the voice actor who plays the main character, a character named James Savage. Mm.
0: So he's the Sam Lake, if you will. Of,
2: <laughs> yeah, he very, yeah, he very much is. Very much in the mold of uh, Max Payne. Though he does not have he doesn't really have a face at all, and it's one interesting thing about this game is that it's very low poly, it moves super fast, and it looks very old. And um, the character. Almost look like puppets, the way they barely have faces and they turn and rotate and move almost like marionettes, and then um, you know, are accompanied by this extremely angsty and overwrought voiceover, very much like Max Payne, if anyone's played it. And then at times, um rap music comes on wrapped by uh, Nelson, by the protagonist Amazing. of the game, will begin rapping. <laughs> and That's at first I was like, okay, awesome. this is a bridge too far. <laughs> but then I kind of stuck with it and it really it really does work or at least it works for me. It's a very specific slice of pie, but it has a lot of uh, interesting flavors. So the premise of this game is that uh, James Savage's ex uh, Dracula is basically a, a lady Dracula and is in the process of beginning the process of ending the world. So she's like starting the ritual, to kill everyone and she's summoned a bunch of Dracula's and, or sorry summoned a bunch of vampires <laughs> She is the only Dracula uh, she's, she's summoned a bunch of Dracula's and Frankenstein's and Wolfman's um, there's a bunch of monsters like undead monsters and whatever um, and he has to fight his way to her and also he reveals this in a pretty effective opening cutscene that kind of sets the tone for the game where it started and I was like okay what are they doing here and then the cutscene played out and I was like okay that was actually pretty cool Let's see what this has to offer." And um, the story winds up being really neat. The premise is sort of that they're broken up. So as much as it's a story about him fighting to save the world, it's also a story about a failed relationship. And they'll have these scenes where they see each other, and they both speak in this kind of Max payne you know, overwrought, intense way. But they're really tearing at each other emotionally. Like, it really is kind of this intense, emotional story. And also he is an addict who has been clean for many years. But because this is basically a Max Payne game, he has to take painkillers to heal himself. Mm. So he's He's broken with his sobriety in order to save the world and he's like making this sacrifice and kind of going through this relapse. During the game, and so it I, it really works. I don't know. I it came out of nowhere. Um, Russ Frustick told me about it because we were talking about Alan Wake Two, a game that we're both madly in love with, and I like love everything that Remedy makes. And he's like, "Dude, I know it's at the exact same time as Alan Wake Two, but you got to play this game." So I went and checked it out, and I really, I really do dig it. It's very, very cool. Um, I gather it's not super long. It's not really complicated. It plays just like Max Payne, bullet time, diving press the tab button to take painkillers and heal yourself. You're doing guns akimbo. It's the whole thing. It really feels like um, playing the original Max Payne back in 99 or 2000 or whenever that game came out. But anyways, uh, I really recommend it. It's a a little indie gem uh, made by someone with a very clear vision who I think uh, has a lot of talent and feels like someone who's going to make a lot of very cool games down the road as well. So that's called El Paso Elsewhere. It's on PC and Xbox, and it rules.
0: Cool. Maddie, what's your own more thing? My one more thing is a movie that I have been dreading watching for many years. <laughs> it's called oh, man. Us. It's by Jordan Peele, one of my favorite creators of all kinds. I'm, I'm obsessed with Nope. It's one of my favorite movies ever made. I've watched it multiple times. Of course, think about it all get the out. Time. it's a masterpiece, <laughs> but like, Nope is one of the greatest movies ever. And yeah. I, yes, I also think about it all the time, but I've never it's seen stuck in my brain. I've seen pretty much every other Jordan Peele thing that exists. The bad stuff, good what, stuff. Why whatever.
1: have you been terrified to see? Because
0: that. I don't know, it's man. Scary. It's freaking scary. I don't know. Yeah. I saw the trailer for Us, and just the trailer gave me nightmares. Because just the idea of having a perfect doppelganger of myself that is trying to take over my life—I don't know why, but that really freaks me out. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can explain why. But
2: <laughs> there's also like it's a home invasion horror. It is a home invasion horror. Like he does horror. different pastiches, right? Like, yes. like nope is alien invasion and home invasion horror. Like funny games, those kinds of movies yeah. where someone's in your house. Funny games,
0: and like like the strangers, if you've heard of that movie, where it's just yeah, the mask. Those are really scary. Those stress me home, out. So, and yeah. there's no reason for them to in- invade. It's it's completely meaningless. Like that, I think is uniquely scary because you're like, oh, this can't be explained at all. And I I think Get Out and even Nope have very tidy explanations, even if they have sort of an absurd scenario as Nope does. You can kind of map together what's being said. But a lot of Us is just uh, plain unsettling. It's just like I don't know why it's like that. Shit's crazy, man. Like a lot (laughs) of why is
2: Lupita Nyong'o talking that way? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like
0: what what is going on other than Lupita Nyong'o playing? Herself and then another version of herself that's way freaking scarier and doing amazing at both versions. One of the most
2: incredible performances I've, like, ever seen. I
0: can't believe she didn't win an Oscar for this. But, of course, genre fiction never wins. Anyway, I'm glad I finally Mm -hmm. watched it. It's actually a lot less scary than the trailer is. Like, the trailer is a work of art of its own. It
2: front loads the horror. It gets a lot less scary after like 30 minutes or something.
0: Yeah, like I or even after like 15 minutes. Like once the doppelgangers show up and they're already there, the movie kind of wasn't right. scary for me anymore. Um, Because I was like, okay, now I know what we're dealing with and we're gonna fight the dog. I remember it
1: being more weird than scary. Right,
2: it's a mystery. Eventually, you're just Mm -hmm. like, okay, so what is going going on? And that drives the rest of the movie. I
0: really liked the explanation for what was going on, too. Like, I know some people were kind of like, ah, it didn't explain enough to me. I don't understand the ending. I thought it was great. I loved the ending. I thought it was really, really cool. And I've been thinking about it since I saw it, but not in a nightmare way just in a cool way where I'm really glad mm-hmm. that I finally watched it and I conquered my fears. So I recommend it. If anybody's like, I'm actually really scared of this because I saw the trailer, you're going to be okay. Cause I watched it <laughs> and I was okay. And you're going to be okay. And I'm even playing Alan mm-hmm. Wake too, a really scary game. So I'm like the bravest person in the universe right now. And you are too, listener. Alan Wake
1: so, Two is scarier than us. That's for sure.
0: It is actually a lot scary no, than I, us. Serious, yeah. really scarier. No, I'm serious. Not really any jump scares, or not that
2: many jump scares in uh, in us.
0: Yeah, us doesn't really have jump scares. Anyway, it's uh, it's a good movie. It's on Netflix right it, now. It, it so, is. So yeah, Great By the way,
1: we're we're gonna do a uh, triple play in Alan Wake Two next week. We are. Because people are wondering, since we've all mentioned <laughs> yeah, this episode, yeah, we're all episode, talking <laughs> about it yeah. obliquely. Um, all I want to do is talk about it, but next week. I know. Yeah, I'm not gonna have that much time to play it since I'm going to. To orange county i'm gonna I'll, have endless
0: time to oh, play it but i'll i'll barely be able to do it because it's the scariest game I'm, I'm
2: gonna finish it i i can't stop it so just good. play it during the day <laughs> I if am you play playing it, it when during
0: it's the day, light oh okay. don't worry jason i'm playing it during the okay. day okay <laughs> next happening. week next
1: week <laughs> um i my one more thing is also a movie i went to the movie theater last week and saw killers of the flower moon the new movie Exciting. by martin scorsese based on the book by david grant and it's really good um my immediate thought leaving the theater was like, wow, I haven't been so the last few years. Um, since like pre-COVID, I haven't been to the movie theater except to see Marvel movies for whatever reason. That's just like how things worked out. I don't know. What would yeah. Marty think? It's very common, and, I think. And so going, and then after leaving Killers of the Flower Moon, I was like, whoa, the, it's so cool to actually see a movie that feels like a movie and not like something that is like designed to be right, Like toys. a movie that's
2: mostly people talking and like grand, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. not it's like a just real, it's CGI a movie. action. It was mobile. a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: like, it feels like a picture as, as Marty would mm-hmm. call it. Um, so yeah, yeah, but, but also it's really good it tells a really good story it's a really horrifying story that um, I think I will leave it to people to watch and discover because it's really riveting the way that Martin Scorsese tells a story it's like three hours and some change like three hours 20 minutes or something but it actually doesn't feel that long because um, Scorsese is such a master at just like making you gripped and compelled and want to see every second of the, the, uh, the, the film he's showing and the story he's telling but um, the one takeaway I had was that Leo DiCaprio playing a stupid person is actually extremely entertaining. Um, usually, mm. Leo uh, as an actor, I mean, he's got a ton of range, but usually the roles he's playing are kind of like sharp people who like are good at what they do. Um, whether it's like uh, like a, a scoundrel in mm-hmm. Titanic, who's just like, this great, you great card player, Catch Me If You Can is another great example.
2: Inception, Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, we we can. Should we list all of the the Leo movies? There All sharp characters, though that is yes for sure. Especially Wolf of Wall Street. Especially he's like he's the center of gravity for this company and for this this entire like he is pretty he is the Wolf of Wall Street, right? So watching him play this like schlub who like doesn't follow things and is like clearly being manipulated or at least letting letting himself be manipulated by his uncle to do horrible things. It's really riveting, and you're not rooting for him or anything like that, but you are certainly compelled by him in a really interesting way. Um, and yeah, the story of the Osage, really tragic and really interesting. And I felt like I came out of this movie just like, um, a little angry, but also just felt feeling like I learned an interesting piece of history and kind of America's, uh, an interesting continuation of America's original sin that um, I think is really just really compelling story. Um, and and there's a lot of really interesting just kind of ambiguity. I think a lot of people, I've seen people critique this movie and critique Scorsese in general for like glamorizing violence and awful things, especially with Wolf of Wall Street, where it, it, it does where, where people have come out of that movie being like, oh, look, he's glamorizing this lifestyle. Um, really, a lot of them Goodfellas Casino, and I've never felt that way. I've always felt like he just leaves it to the reader to understand what's going on, and this movie especially, because so much of it is about the love story between the main character Leo's Ernest Burkhart and his wife who is an Osage woman named Molly Burkhart and he I won't spoil all the details or anything but like you're kind of wondering you're left wondering like does he love her does he not love her what's the deal here what is this relationship and I think Scorsese really just kind of diving into those contradictions is where he does his best work and I really I really enjoyed the film from that level too
2: I remember having that thought about Molly and Ernest when reading the book as well, mm-hmm. which is yeah. recently one more thing, and I talked about it. You know, I just watched Wolf of Wall Street over the weekend. Leo is so incredible in that movie. I'd never seen it before.
1: Oh, man. Oh, that's so funny. Wow.
2: I know. I just kind of never did. And to that to that critique, I would say, first of all, just I guess to Leo first, the sequence where he's high on Quaaludes and uh-huh. like trying to get into uh-huh. his car oh is God. one of the most incredible like physical performances I've ever seen. I didn't know that was in that movie. Oh, How man. does not, everyone not talk about that and him and Jonah they Hill did. like they, fighting they, over they the did. phone they did. back okay. then. You're going to know they So it's a now. whole thing. Because yeah, I was watching it, I was like, yeah. this has to be a whole thing. I did not know Leo had that in If you ever,
1: ever read like Scorsese breakdowns, people are or Leo like, breakdowns. Or like Leo breakdowns. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They talk about that. You're just in the club The stairs
2: getting longer when he looks at them and then short when he falls down them
1: is incredible but yeah I mean did you think it glamorized so I do
2: think that Scorsese by virtue of being such a brilliant filmmaker it's hard not to have a good time watching his movies and so when you're watching a bunch of horrible people being horrible which that movie is like nasty people just being truly like amoral It is so much fun because of the way the camera moves, because of his control over what he's showing you, that it's impossible not to just be sucked in. And because your point of view character is the Wolf of Wall Street himself, you feel like you're like getting a first-class like tour of being a sociopath. And so it's like, whoo, this is really fun. Wow, I could what if I just broke every rule, man? I guess it would be crazy like this. But I would have guessed, and I haven't seen Colors of the Flower Moon yet, that the the presence of Molly alone. Is, is kind of a, like, balancing moral presence in the film. Like, there is no character like that in Wolf of Wall Street. Like, th- it's really just him. Like, the whole thing is kind of through his perspective. You get the sense of the harm that he's causing to other people around him, but it's very backgrounded, where I would think that by focusing on Ernest and Molly and then also just the obvious moral weight of what's happening of the story of that film, uh, I don't know. I- I'm really, really interested to see it anyways. I, I don't want to theorize too much about a movie I haven't seen.
1: Yeah, there's no glamour uh, of anything in Killers of the Flower. But no, the bigger question I think that people might have um, critically is, like, is this movie asking you to root for Ernest Burkhart when he's clearly this awful person? And that I, I'll leave people to judge for themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, like, my takeaway was, like, Scorsese is clearly saying something here. And I don't really think he needs to, like, make it any less subtle, um, especially after watching uh, the end of uh, Fall of the House of the which was my one more thing last week and the end of that is literally just like they might as well put subtitles that are like here are what here is exactly what we are trying to say with this like <laughs> wealth is is bad like it's, pharmaceutical <laughs> companies suck they yeah, should all god, die god. it's it's like worse than that oh my god the i haven't finished it is, yet we've been slowly watching it's, it it's,
2: it's, it's very cheap thrills but yeah very text
1: me when you get to the ending because it's okay. just i i groaned in my bed watching <laughs> okay. anyway um Culture of the Flower Moon, it's great. Everyone should go see it, especially, I mean, it was so much fun watching it in theaters. Also, I expected that I would need to go to the bathroom like three times, but I did not. So for what it's worth, I think you can make it through three and a half hours of watching this film in theaters, which I really enjoyed. Inspiring. All right, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you again to everybody who submitted questions, and we will see you all next week.
2: Yeah, see you next week.
0: Bye.
2: Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.